0: This changes everything. My whole perception on everything has changed now. Um, all these nonsense systems that we've created, uh, we're gonna rebuild them in, in this new ecosystem, so.
1: Hello everyone, welcome to the Bitcoin ATM podcast. My name is Ted Stephen I am marketing manager for Chain Bytes LLC, which is a Bitcoin ATM manufacturer. And today, is, is the inaugural show of our podcast, and we want to introduce Chainbytes to you. And we thought the best way to do that was to to bring on Eric Grill, who is the founder and CEO of Chainbytes, and have him talk about who Chainbytes is, how it got started, uh, about Bitcoin ATMs, what the, what they look like, who operates them, what the future looks like, what that kind of opportunity is that is represented in that space, and and who who Bitcoin ATMs really serve in in the Bitcoin ecosystem. So. Everyone, here's Eric. Hello, Eric. How are you, sir?
0: Hey, Ted. How are you doing? I'm doing well.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I'm doing good, man. So I made kind of an an outline to kind of go through this sort of as a linear, uh, like like in a timeline. So you are the the CEO and founder of Chain Yep. Maybe the the best place to start is how did you get your start in computer technology and and the the space that you're in right now?
0: Well, I mean, as a kid, there weren't really any computers I had never like kids today have computers when they can walk and we we didn't have that and I was with my parents at some a museum or something, and there was this timex Sinclair's tiny little computer, and I started sitting there using it and they just left me there for a while <laughs> and literally I was within like an hour i was I was writing this applic this little game this application on it, and they were like, "Are you doing it and I was like yeah and, and it just made sense to me and i from there they they bought me like the is called a Texas Instruments it was one of the very first personal computers and immediately okay. I outgrew that they bought me like extended basic and this and then we we bought an apple computer and this is pre-internet so you know you couldn't communicate with other people so you're kind of isolated and relying on magazines and books and things like that to learn um but I learned assembly language because there really wasn't there was basic and there was assembly language and if you were really a glutton uh machine language but I just loved it and it made sense and um I just kept doing it until uh high school we started getting computers.
1: Yeah, did you have the Mac that kind of looked like a suitcase? <laughs> the the early you know, it was like a big box, sort of rectangular.
0: Yeah, it was huge, right. And it was only like sixty four K was what it had in it. Yeah, I mean it was it was and then all through high school they didn't really have computer they got some Apple twos. Which were these old Apple computers, they weren't even Macs yet. And there was like, everything was, you know, dot like what what you call DOS based. And uh, yeah, stayed with that until I got in the Navy and then was exposed to Unix and um, it wasn't even my rating. I wasn't even really my job rating, but they are like, You know about computers? And I'm like kinda of said, Here, go for it and uh, <laughs> had access to schools and things like that, anything I wanted to go do. So I, I kinda of jumped around and played with the Unix for, for a while there and Windows came out. And you know, I learned like Visual Basic was pretty easy to jump into at the time. Um, there really wasn't that much else. C okay. was really there wasn't no a UI or anything for. It. it was a little tough to use for some stuff. But it was, it was an interesting time, kind of growing up as as computers progressed into being something usable. And you know, the internet came out shortly thereafter. So it was kind of an interesting time.
1: So when you were when you started work, well, what was your first professional job that was that? had the computer science relationship?
0: I mean, I worked at a a bank. (laughs) I went to work at a bank, got out of the Navy, and I worked at a bank for a little while. And then a a horse show company of all things doing their accounting systems and sort of automating them with mostly like integrating different accounting systems. And then I went to work for this company called Nielsen Media, which was a television ratings. And they just, they let me do whatever I wanted. And boy, did I just jumped into any... Any geeky technology, I look for an excuse to to use it, and I did. Okay.
1: Were they looking for metrics on on trying to find how many viewers they were getting, or was it just operation stuff? It's a big company. I mean, there were a lot of different areas of the business. We were mostly internal
0: systems, so sort of the reporting systems, those metrics, all all that integrated in billing systems and accounting systems. So it was more like the inner workings of the MIS, the internal systems of the company. Every now and then we got involved in projects. Where, where it was exposed to customers and, and providing data and statistics and things like that um but we kind of jumped around into every area of the the business there well fast forward through the 90s which is yeah well then, then then the hedge funds right and then i got it then i then i was like oh man look at this look at all the money they'll pay us over here to go work in the hedge funds so i was like all right i'm gonna go sell my soul and and leave the safety of the you know the media world and go into um, financial services and so I worked at a uh, consulting company that just stuck me in, like, blackstone, all the big hedge funds, and, uh, you know, I was all over the place, mm-hmm. and I was like, well, okay. Were they I'm looking at programming, no programming
1: trade trading, or? I did, did I did, actually, a couple of them like, of you know so
0: much, or? why don't you hear, they gave me, they gave me an account to trade, and because their hedge funds are ah. not regulated, it, it wasn't like I need a broker license or anything, I was like, yeah, you know, technical analysis, go for it, here. Yeah.
1: So, as the the close of the the '90s, I mean, obviously, the whole dot com craze was going on. What what, what were you looking at? at no, I was still at Nielsen
0: days? then. Luckily, uh, I, didn't, I didn't get the benefit oh. from that. <laughs> well, maybe not luckily, but okay. I, yeah, I didn't benefit from that. It was after yeah, the dot com kind of bubble burst that then I went. I was like, oh well, I'm gonna now. I'm gonna go out on my own and and, and you know, enter the hedge fund space.
1: So, so when did you first uh, start? seeing about cryptography and and maybe just your, your first in, you know your first involvement with bitcoin your first view of it
0: well i mean cryptography is different than i mean bitcoin incorporates cryptography so i, I had always been interested in cryptography um you know be, back in the day we didn't have these libraries it was hard to communicate like early early on it was actually illegal to export like um anything over you know certain so very in, encryption was sort of a uh, taboo thing to be playing around with because as an american um, we couldn't use the libraries that everybody else was using. It was very weird, um, but they ch- they they changed mm-hmm. that law, and then once they changed that, um, you know, there were all these libraries and Microsoft and Google, and everybody was introducing all these different cryptography libraries that we could use, and and you'd use them for mm-hmm. communications, right? And there was browser-based stuff, which obviously you could use that, but um, you know, so so encryption was sort of part of your DNA as as a developers, as as early on as you can get encrypt something, the better, right? Um, um, fast forward, I guess. Yeah.
1: When did you first hear about Nakamoto and just the whole um, Bitcoin story?
0: So I was actually working at a um, and one of the big prime brokers, and they had me look at this, and I took a look at it. I was like, I don't know, it's some like geek money or something. I don't know. They say it's decentralized. But this is bull. <laughs> I could I could crack this. This is this is nothing. No, let's let's go play around. Let's let's so. Uh, and then um, yeah, I wasn't that was it. I shortly resigned and I was like, this is all I'm going to do. This is my life's work right here. This is, this changes everything. My whole perception on everything has changed now. Um, all these nonsense systems that we've created, uh, we're going to rebuild them in, in this new ecosystem. So kind of realized what it was. I, I realized it was an immutable database that we could put data on and we could all agree this statement of truth. And that to me was more powerful than it is money. I understood it was going to disrupt his money as well, yeah. but I, I thought more importantly, like insurance derivatives and, the smart contracting and, and these other things were going to be more important. So that's what I got involved in Bitcoin, thinking I'm going to build a bunch of insurance derivatives and securities. Okay. And wasn't until I went to my first Bitcoin conference, I was like, well, wait, <laughs> maybe we need to build an infrastructure first. Maybe there needs to be on ramps of people buying this stuff before we go on and, and, and say, oh, yeah, here you go. La. <laughs> you put your house on here. right?" So,
1: so um, when you so... look at Bitcoin, I mean, do you did you see it? I mean, was it the solving of the Byzantine generals problem? The I mean, the the the, the hashing relative to double spend? I mean, what was the. Well,
0: if you get technical, technical. Yeah, I mean, right fundamentally it solved the problem of decentralized agreement like yeah i guess you could call it the byzantine generals problem that that's certainly one aspect that was always missing in in a truly decentralized network is how do you incentivize everybody to behave properly Mm -hmm. right and so that's why all these other things had failed is because they weren't able to do that there was always an incentive for a bad actor to be able to come in and disrupt the network and uh it couldn't be decentralized enough to, to to heal itself um the incentives weren't aligned like this so that's really all This introduced was that, that little proof of work, that incentive that, you know, if you're going to invest all this money, you're going to want to protect the network. It's literally as simple as that. And uh, but, but that changes everything now. Now you have a, a statement of truth that we can all count on and agree on and say, and I can validate and say this is valid, right? Yeah, that was immensely powerful. I mean, we 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 worked in centralized databases and query and looked at performance and things like that. It security was like building you know the moats around the, the the castle. We were trying to keep people out of our databases, try to keep them out of the network. You know, you have layers there. Um, but if they got into your your database, you had backups and you tried to detect it. And there was all this stuff. Is always defense, right? You know, there was no way to to take it. You obviously encrypted important things and even in the database. But yeah, it was it just changed. Changed everything. That you could put something somewhere and know that it was always going to be there that way. It's that's powerful.
1: So, so when did you first see Bitcoin as money or as a, as an opportunity for people to store value?
0: As a byproduct, it, it could be used as money, but I mean, initially, yeah. store of value. Like, yeah, the store of value, all right. Like, we wanted to embed messages in like the op code. Like, one of the very first things I did with it was start embedding like values in this op code, which you could put little pieces of information in there, and it would store it on. the blockchain you could retrieve it later or an encrypted piece of information or or something i thought that that was more valuable than i figured a lot of people would be focusing on it as money which they do now right i mean everybody's like oh the price is this and and so there you know and you can transact between two people and that's that's the money aspect of it but i really was much more interested in the blockchain aspect of it the database the mutable database aspect of it
1: okay well so but at some point you saw you must have started to see that because you Looked out into the landscape and said, "Hey, Bitcoin ATMs. This is this is something that 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 the you know there's this is an on ramp. This is something that's meaningful. How, how did you get to that point?"
0: Well, that was yeah. I went to the I went to the Miami Bitcoin conference. I think it
1: was twenty twelve, twenty eleven. And how many people were there? To, what's that? I mean? I did interrupt. just how, when you because that conference is huge now. What how big? How oh, many it's people? Huge
0: were, no, 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 Yeah, there was it was small. Then it was like a handful. It was like a, it was one room. It was wow. It was, uh, it was not very many people, right? Um, yeah, and and I realized that it was just too early to be talking about those things. So we needed to build on ramps, right? We needed, you know, the gold rush had shovels. You needed, you needed shovels. You needed infrastructure. You needed to feed people. You needed to build all the, the the platforms, the infrastructure. And I thought, well, the easiest thing to do would be, how do I? What do I? How do I take physical money out of the world and and, and turn it into Bitcoin, right? Chew up the money and and. and 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 do that so uh yeah so i just kind of i took a raspberry pi and i bought some equipment on ebay and and built a little machine that would take my pay bitcoin it taught me a lot about you know i needed an excuse to play around with the the bitcoin rpc calls so there it was so that's what i did and i built built something out really quick and um yeah that was it i was like okay well now i need to look for real hardware and turn this into a business And China's where I went to build, you know, buy the hardware to do that.
1: So that first machine that you made, just kind of home build, was was that that was that's twenty twenty twelve or so twenty
0: thirteen.
1: Yeah, yeah. Wow, Eric, that's 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 pioneering, man. You're like not only <laughs> just not only you're looking at the wagon wheels. There were,
0: wheels, you're, there were you're... Robo, so there were two other there were RoboCoin machines at the time, and then these things called Lamassu machines. Well, the Lamassu's still around actually. Mm-hmm. Um, there was Lamassu and RoboCoin. RoboCoin i think they were twenty five thirty thousand dollars they weighed two tons they they did biometrics you had to use like your fingerprint in them and yeah. and at the end of the day they never worked <laughs> so they ended up they raised all i think they just raised a whole lot of money and they just went out of business um and Lamisu machines i ended up buying a whole bunch of um a couple of Lamisu machines and they were just i had to keep rebooting them and 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 it was just i'm like okay this is this isn't gonna work these Android devices are not going to be able to hold up to this and the the receiver wasn't a good quality. These were like really early Lamassu machines, and the quality just wasn't that great. So, so, so when do you feel like you have created to send the out to reboot the machine every day? <laughs>
1: huh? So, so when did you feel like you? Well, actually, you must have been a date where you <clears throat> you named the company Chainbytes. You said, "Okay, this is it. And this is what I'm calling the, the company Chainbytes." Oh, and no.
0: so that was a, I, I had been in another Bitcoin ATM company that I created, and you know, Chainbytes came later when I when I actually thought. I wanted to just focus on the software side. I wasn't even going to be you know in into the Bitcoin ATMs any well I was going to be in them but not not like that, but uh you know it turned out that the Bitcoin ATMs turned out to be a really good platform. So using them is sort of glue into these other areas, so I got involved in other companies and things like that. And so rewriting the Bitcoin
1: ATMs from the ground up in new technology is, is where chain Bytes so, off. so when was the first the first day you actually had a machine that you said this is a complete with the case and the screen and the dashboard and all the stuff? Oh no,
0: I did no back in 2012. That was we okay, did okay. a wedding
1: on it actually down at Disney World. Um, <laughs>
0: we 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 took their wedding vows and put them onto the blockchain. So pe- then, because we were trying to show people it's not just money, right? You can do other things with it. So we actually um, Bitnation, which was sort of this idea of blockchain as a governance tool for instead of um, bunch of anarchists right and they wanted to do a wedding on a blockchain right they could provide a government service and they picked so we, i said well let's let's do a wedding wow let's well. do a wedding on the blockchain it's simple it's just <laughs> two people entering into a contract saying we're married like they don't need anything special and ir- irreversible so contract that. right,
1: <laughs> right you're yep. ir- irrever- yeah. <laughs> so so okay well then let's let's take a moment to, to narrow down a little bit more so that was to- 2012 so
0: so we definitely had a working
1: machine by then so yeah, I guess, yeah, somewhere, somewhere in there. <laughs> okay, okay. So as as the Bitcoin ATM has evolved to 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 the kind of current state, I mean, yeah. just for people so they really see kind of you know what what they're about today. Um, you know, what, I mean, fundamentally, if someone on the street came and say, hey, "Well, what what is a Bitcoin ATM?" I mean, you you have a very you have a very good answer that that you can give. How how would you answer that question?
0: Yeah, I mean, it's it's an on and off ramp for, for for cash for paper money into crypto and out of crypto. That's that's what a Bitcoin ATM's main purpose is. A okay. lot of people are like, wow, well, why don't you take credit cards and do it? Because if you have a credit card, you don't need to you don't need to physically visit a machine. You can do it from home. Uh, the physical location, the physical putting cash in the machine,
1: is, is where the machines really shine. Okay, and and can you talk a little bit about the the population that this serves? Because this is a particular on ramp, and this helps various people pe- people that are that are, mat- that are lying to a while well, can you talk a little bit about what kind of customer depends, are these
0: depends machines? on where you are
1: right so in el
0: salvador that has 80% of the people unbanked that's you know who who are you talking about right those are all people that were that are using cash to do all of their transactions they have no other opportunity to to do that uh versus in the united states where again we have 20 million people here unbanked that that have no access to banking so they they can't get on exchanges and can't wire money in there. So they certainly uh, use the machines. People that are comfortable with ATM machines because they, they use them day to day. So people ask this a lot of times, like, what's the demographic for the Bitcoin ATM op, um, user? There isn't. It really depends on where the machine is. When it's near a hospital, you're going to see lots of doctors and nurses. Where it's where a truck stop, you're going to see commercial truck drivers, right? And, and you know, in, in neighborhoods, you're going to just see like the local people coming in. Um, it really is, uh, it depends on where the machine is. Okay, who uses money? So, that, well, yeah, that, exactly. I threw that question
1: back and I was like, well, who uses money? everybody yeah, exactly okay well. okay so so when you when you think of the a Bitcoin ATM I say not to say relative to competing Ron ramps, but maybe that's a maybe that's a useful context. Um, what are the advantages that a user gains by using a Bitcoin ATM? I mean what are some of the things that their their unique properties of of interacting with the Bitcoin ATM? Um,
0: familiarity. And instant gratification, right? So if they go on to one of the exchanges, they do have to do AML KYC online. Uh, they got to take a picture of themselves and submit it online. They got to connect their bank account online. They have to do all these, these steps in the process. And they don't get instant access to their Bitcoin right away either, anyway. So with this, they literally are taking funds, you know, cash and turning it into Bitcoin instantly. And they're able okay. to do everything there. They don't need to figure out how to upload their picture. We do it for them, right? They just hold their picture up. We, we snap it. Uh, we collect their their information. And we make it very easy for them. So that's okay. the convenience, the instant gratification.
1: So, so it's really, and then once once someone's in that ecosystem, <clears throat> the the issue of remittances and transmission, then they're in, right? So they gain all the benefits. Yeah, I mean, I, it I, depends
0: on what they want. What they bought the Bitcoin for, right? If they want to do remittance, they can turn around and send it to someone else. Um, you know. If they're just holding it they just literally can hold on to it uh, depending on you know
1: okay so and this this is just a just kind of a little bit more kind of atomization or just a, a, a narrower look but when when someone interacts with a Bitcoin ATM I, I, what happens I mean is there a third party is there how, what is the can you describe no. kind of the, the the trail
0: yeah it's important that there isn't a third party actually because um, you know a lot of the states especially as far as a regulatory uh, requirement uh, that you don't involve a third party is is an important part of not having to register as an MSB in a lot of states. So everything is between the customer and the operator directly. There is no third okay. party intermediary. Okay. Now, so so, so they so, literally so, come up to the machine or are, are buying directly from the operator. So the operator is offering Bitcoin at a price that they're willing to pay, and they put their cash into the machine and they get the
1: Bitcoin that they paid for. Or if they agreed to sell it,
0: they they do the same thing.
1: Okay, so since we walked to the point where we 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 brought the operator into the into the story, well, what is an operator of a Bitcoin ATM? Let's we could just start there. That seems basic, but it's a good place to start.
0: Sure. Um, well, an operator is somebody. I mean, I guess we'll take it from an American perspective. So, an operator in the United States is someone who's registered with FinCEN, and that is a, is called a money service business. And so, they take the hardware, these machines and uh, they operate them in their in their area they sell bitcoin and, and maintain a stock of that just like a vending machine
1: i think sometimes when i look at the the issue of operators there's sometimes people talk about a host or or a direct operator so i see i suppose you could visit a location and the the location may not be running the machine it's actually someone who's a like a contractor or someone who owns that machine working through that location oh
0: yeah most, most of the time so yeah that that's the <clears a> difference <throat> between the traditional atm space and the bitcoin atm spaces um, anyone can own an ATM machine, right? And I could just stick it in my store. I don't need any special license, and I don't need to be an MSB to operate a traditional ATM machine. Um, but a Bitcoin ATM machine, I need compliance. I need a lot of other things. So, very few stores are operating them themselves. They 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 have somebody else that's paying them rent and and okay. operating them or operating them on their behalf.
1: What kind of entities become operators? Is it individuals or businesses or what does a typical operator look like?
0: Well, I mean, anybody can really and t- technically, right? But I, I think more the more successful people in the space are, are people that understand the ATM space that were already involved in cash logistics. Um, okay. The the real key to this is compliance <laughs> and cash management banking, right? If you have those things solved, you're you're going to be a successful operator. And okay. so traditional ATM guys, you know, they didn't have to deal with the compliance, so that part of it was a little bit of a a struggle but they understand the ground game of cash management even though it's the opposite of ATMs. ATMs they fill up and here they're like pulling them out so that's always hard to convince them. They're like, I don't know, don't I load it with cash? No, you don't. <laughs> no, <laughs> <you're> <laughs> empty we the cash. <laughs> they don't load it with cash but aside from that, it's very similar to their existing business. So they're, they're, they've been very most Most of the ATM operators have been pretty successful at that transition from the traditional ATM world into the Bitcoin ATM world or vending machine Operators again, cash logistics.
1: So, when you see somebody start an operation, I mean, what typically, you know, is there? A, I mean, how many machines are people starting with when they're if there's somebody so, decides they want to get into the space?
0: I mean, the more, the better. Uh, frankly, right. your startup cost. The first machine is going to be the most expensive, right? So, you want to get a few machines, especially when you start off, uh, to kind of diversify the risk of picking a bad location. Uh, there is no guaranteed location. I know some people think they have the secret sauce for a location. Um, I mean, anywhere you put it it's probably going to do enough to cover itself right but you especially of the first few machines that you put out, you really want to you know rig the game so that you you do well with those locations so uh you know th- I would say three um most oper- most people that are successful and do well in this i I see starting with five and within a few months you know have doubled and tripled that and and just continue to add machines.
1: You mentioned locations. I mean, obviously, there's a difference between I mean, one location is going to be better than another. But can you speak to you know what what kind of locations are typically successful, or you know, in, in rough terms?
0: It it really depends on the area. Um, but uh, you know, next to a traditional ATM machine certainly is going to help uh, boost it. Uh, you know, gas stations, uh, you know, 24-hour convenience stores where people are going to be um, that they can easily get in and out of. A lot of people think it's the foot traffic.
1: What are the characteristics of a good location for a Bitcoin ATM?
0: So the characteristics are are easy access, really. More so than even the location of of where it is. Like People look at foot traffic and things like that, big malls. That's that's usually not a good indicator. The good indicator is people can get in, get their Bitcoin, and get out. Um, Just like when you want to go to your ATM machine, right? Where do you want to go? You don't want to go to a busy mall with a bunch of people. You want to go somewhere secure, private, go get your money, get in, get out, be done, right? So whether that's pulling up at the drive-thru at the, at the bank or going to a local gas station, that's, that's typically where people want to use these machines. And in this case, it's a destination. They're going there with a specific purpose okay. of okay. either taking money out of an ATM machine and putting it into the Bitcoin ATM or just putting cash in. A lot of times, people are using the ATM right next to, right next to it, and so they're pulling the cash out and, and putting it in uh, next door.
1: Okay. So you had mentioned earlier that Bitcoin ATM operators have, have regulatory compliance issues. Um, just kind of, I don't, I don't mean for you to like, you don't have to go deeply into that, but it, what is just, just a general sense of what kind of things, do, how does that, what does that look like? How does that happen? What, what kind of th- rules do they have to look at?
0: So in the United States, uh, they, have, they have federal and state. So on the federal side, they have FinCEN, which is the anti-money laundering. they your customer rules, um, the IRS, currency transaction reports, um, and then on a state level, you have bonding, consumer protection. Uh, those are those are sort of your main areas that you, that you have to be uh, addressing.
1: So with the proliferation of, of Bitcoin ATMs, so they're going to be uh, they're going to be more available to people, um, and that's going to be going to work hand in hand with the the continuing adoption adoption of Bitcoin um, and cryptocurrencies in general. Um, is there a special consideration for a, for an ATM machine or a bit we say Bitcoin ATM machine? Whether they have just Bitcoin or other cryptocurrencies, or is there a limitation? Can Bitcoin ATMs adapt with the with the expansion? Like, how, or how are they ad- adapting to the expansion?
0: They can support as they can support cryptocurrencies, but at the end of the day, it's an on ramp into the crypto sphere, right? So there's two there's two financial systems. There's this old system and the new system, and we're just building bridges here. Whether that's you know cash into Bitcoin or cash into Tether or cash into Litecoin. Whatever it is, once you're in that ecosystem, you can go from Litecoin into, you know, uh, Binance chain, if you want, in two seconds. You don't don't need an ATM machine to be able to do those things. So our machine, you know, Chainbytes machines have multiple currencies on them, cryptocurrencies, if people want to do that. Um, but we see w- nobody's buying them like there's just it's gimmicky the, people think, oh, if I offer 50 different cryptocurrencies, then people are going to come to my machine versus another machine. And then we don't see that. Um, we see you hosting okay. 50 cryptocurrencies and nobody ever buying them. And you're getting a whole bunch of support questions and questions about these altcoins, um, but not a whole lot of sales. We never see that hardly anywhere. Dogecoin like it was the only thing where like we see people use them here and there. On some people's machines, which I don't know how uh-huh. they're doing that either.
1: Considering that that the ecosystem is growing a lot, I mean, I've seen these statistics about how the crypto space, are, well, really not. I mean, there are, there's commentary on the crypto space, but particularly Bitcoin, its adoption rate is is faster than that that of the internet. I think at a, a relatively parallel time, and the internet was growing about sixty ish percent, sixty five percent, and 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 the the Bitcoin adoption in the crypto space is is over a hundred. It's
0: it's even it's really hard to measure. Like when you say, you know, Bitcoin users, they're trying to measure wallets and people using it as a currency, but what about all the systems that we have built on top of it, right? We don't you, you apples to apples, you can't compare it. It's not even the same anymore, right? Like just like the internet. How do you measure the internet? Every packet that goes on the internet, is is that internet right. adoption? Well, that's everything. Uh, you know, so it's it's really hard to quantify well. that anymore because you know, there's so many other things now built on top of Bitcoin and blockchain. You wouldn't even know you're using it. And it may be being used well, on when the When you backend. see
1: the, in the Bitcoin ATM space, I mean, how, what is your sense of, the, is it still early days? Are we, are we seeing, you know, are we getting into a middle phase? Have we crossed the chasm? Or like, where, where do you think we are?
0: Oh, no. This is early days. Most people don't have it. Most people aren't familiar with it. Um, the applications, the, the the true disruption hasn't even started to really happen yet. We're just starting to see that with you know, decentralized finance. People are figuring out these non fungible tokens and go, wait a minute, we can we can trade this asset, we can trade like this artwork, we can trade this, and you know they're starting to see these opportunities and and being able to put that on onto these. Um, so yeah, we're in the early days, right? Because once once the non fungible tokens get created, right, then people are going to want to borrow against it. People are going to speculate against it. All these things that we built that that people were maybe excluded from in the traditional sense as being i want to be the insurance company i want to you know do this i want to do whatever you can dream up you can now put into technology and people can benefit from that we're no longer stuck into this old system there they created a set of rules and you got to abide by these set of rules and this is how you invest in the stock or this is how you invest in the security and if you want to benefit from it this is the path to do that those rules are out the window right we can we can go and say well i think this is a more creative way to incentivize people and align their interests with my company and this is the way I want to do it and then you come up with a smart contract that can implement that and incentivize them through this system yeah that's that's what's going to be disruptive
1: This may be an oversimplification but you can certainly provide clarity to help kind of clear the any questions up on it if I as a user of a Bitcoin ATM machine I have a I have a wallet downloaded on my phone so I have an app that's giving me a, a wallet on my phone so I go to the machine and I buy Bitcoin. So just I mean, just simple numbers. So I so I buy a hundred dollars worth of Bitcoin. Now that it's in my wallet, that I've offic- I've effectively moved money into into the, the crypto sphere. So there I could trade my Bitcoin for for cash, th- which would stay in my wallet, or a, a stable coin. And then I, then I could take that stable coin and I could buy Ethereum, or I could buy I could get involved with NFTs. Like so so it's basically this is the like a portal. I mean, for lack of a better word.
0: The on-ramp. That's what, when we say on-ramp. We're literally saying on-ramp. You're you're on-ramping into this new ecosystem, right? So you're in the crypto ecosystem now. So you got out of this physical paper money into the ecosystem. Okay. That's it. Now you can go play around. Now you can do whatever you want. Go buy Pancake Swap if you want. Go go buy whatever crypto you want, whatever project you want to invest in, whatever you want. Nobody can exclude you anymore. You're you, you've you've passed the barrier, right? You've on-ramped into the new. Financial okay, system. Excellent, excellent. Now you can do whatever you want.
1: So so if you were um, you're just looking at, at um, opportunities for, so say, somebody said, well, I, I'm thinking about starting this business. I mean, what, you know, a business being an operator, um, we can do some other shows talking about how people engage the machines. <clears throat> but as far as an operator goes, I mean, you know, when you think of we talked a little bit about people who have experience with cash management or dealing with money. And what other, what other thoughts would you have, you know, advice for people considering the space? Um, you know, what, what kind of other things would they consider relative to some, you know, just your, your experience?
0: Well, you you don't need to be the, the, you don't need to be an ATM operator to to be successful here. Um, I think a lot of people, you know, a lot of the failures, I guess, that we've seen have been people that have just made a couple bucks in crypto. They think that, you know, they, they, they've done Bitcoin mining maybe and so now they want to buy a machine and, you know, they don't take it seriously. They don't market. They don't treat it as a business. And I guess maybe that's um, that's the difference, right? So you you have to treat it as a, it is a business, right? It's not a vending machine. It's a, it's a lot more involved. And it's not turnkey and people are wanting to buy them and just have passive income, and there are Bitcoin ATM operators that specialize in providing those services. We have operators that buy our machines that provide those services to people where they don't right. have to do anything. They just pay for the machine and somebody else operates it for them. Um, so again, how do you want to treat it? Right? Just like if you buy a piece of real estate, you can have a property management company handle it for you, or you can get your hands dirty and go in there and handle it yourself.
1: So there's the money side of it but I mean I guess the other thing that because I'm, I'm a marketing guy <laughs> but but I mean I really I'm, I want to see it the way you, how you, when you look across the landscape what special considerations do you do, you, do you come to mind when you think about okay well I've got machines how do I market them how do I because this issue of adoption it's like it's it's almost like a lot of people in the Bitcoin space they end up kind of becoming like evangelists or something like they're just they're really trying to open the the eyes to people yep. I, I I love the expression that says you know once you've seen it you can't unsee it Right. So it's like so I'm assuming that Bitcoin operators, <laughs> I mean, they're using a variety of marketing tactics. Um, maybe you talk about that, but then you know, they're, they're also isn't, isn't a part of their, their job. Also, just helping people convert their minds to, to, to see this as a, as a good thing and a good opportunity.
0: I think a lot of operators are evangelists as well. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we certainly put them in places where we can on ramp new people to use um, Bitcoin. Um, so do we have a responsibility to be evangelists for Bitcoin? I don't know, maybe. I think almost every business that's in the space has a responsibility to sort of evangelize the uh, um, Bitcoin. Bitcoin is the brand after all, right? Um, so, you know, it's uh, yeah, okay. I, I guess so they do. I mean, I, I, every, the more successful operators. Not only market their machines, but they're really marketing Bitcoin. Like here's here's an easy way to get. Your hands but on your Bitcoin. your
1: traditional traditional marketing tactics are, are a big part of the story, though, right? I mean, you're seeing somebody puts in these machines. They're using signs and.
0: Yeah, I think so. The traditional, just here, it's a physical. Just like the we're working in traditional finance with paper money, right? We're we're converting fiat money. Um, where the machines are is physical locations and traditional marketing. Um, seems to have the, the biggest so,
1: impact. So yeah. I, I guess yeah, the, the other thing, just relative to um, just the adoption story, if if we so if we're, if we're still early, <laughs> um, you, know, you you look out across the future. I mean, what do you I mean, what do you see? What do you see in terms of the machines? In terms of uh, will will growth in the future just really look like more locations, more machines, or will the machines have greater capacities to to interact with people? Or what, what is what's your sense of the future?
0: Oh, the machines certainly have a a bigger capacity to to interact with people. I mean, you you have an opportunity when you're there um, and people are putting cash in the machine, you know, with decentralized finance, even NFTs. Like, why why not sell, you know, NFTs at the machine, too? Right. But I think we're just too early for some of that stuff for for you to see them in the machines. Um, And and again, the regulatory framework, it makes it very problematic to put anything on there aside from what's kind of already been uh, approved, um, Bitcoin being one of them because um, then you're you're exposing yourself to risk because one of the reasons one of the things of being an on-ramp is you're the one that's regulated right so if you put a coin on there they're not going after the coin they're gonna go after you as being the person on ramp into that so if you're selling something on there that later just determines the security or or something of that effect you're gonna have the problem not not the not the person who built it so uh, you got to be very careful um, that's another reason why I tell people, be careful what you put on there, right? Like people want to put Monero on there. Okay, you can put it on there, but when it attracts law enforcement's attention, don't be surprised, right? When somebody uses it to, to do something nefarious and they come and they trace it to your machine, don't don't act surprised, right? Those, those, those sort
1: of things are going to happen. Can you do it? Yeah. Should you do it? I don't know. Right. Maybe. So because a, a lot of the early Bitcoin folks just kind of took to Twitter. Do you look at your crypto twitter I know you're there um i've i've
0: I'm yeah till- not as much as anymore um okay yeah it's it's a good platform I mean it was an easy way to communicate and uh yeah I don't know I don't know why that yeah the, why that that was a place but then clubhouse came along and a lot of crypto people jumped on there they're on
1: reddit they are people well, are now everywhere. they're everywhere like, I, I, <laughs>
0: Yeah, I mean, they do have a term crypto Twitter. And I guess, yeah, everyone's on there, I guess. I mean, yeah, it became the
1: bullhorn. Too. So, so, we, so if, if people wanted to reach you, what's, what's, how do they find you on Twitter? <laughs> yeah, Twitter.
0: That's actually probably, that's probably the best way to reach me is on Twitter, right? So, yeah, at Eric Grill.
1: Okay, that's great. Two L's, G-R-I-L-L. Okay, and then, but if yeah. somebody, if somebody yeah. listened today and said, hey, I've you know, been looking at Bitcoin ATMs and thinking about them as a business, I mean, best, best way to get a hold of you is through Chainbytes.com, or the, or the company, correct?
0: Yeah, the best way is to go on the website. We have a web chat. You can talk to one of the salespeople or one of the technical people there and just ask questions. If you have questions about it, they can help you lead you in the right direction. Po- you know, point you in things as far as banking compliance. There's there's other aspects of the business forming the corporation, getting an attorney, all of these things in creating a business. We can you know they can certainly help you with those things and point you in the right direction. But um, yeah, if you're really serious about creating a, a Bitcoin ATM business and want to make money there, we're. to right, good. So
1: hey. I- thank you so much for um taking time today um we'll definitely come back and uh we'll be talking about bitcoin in general and i i I can't wait to do some more shows where we talk about uh just the whole the whole space just um uh, you got some interesting people and staff that have great experience and uh i can't wait to to get to give them a chance to to share their knowledge and their experience in, in in the in the bitcoin world so hey we'll We'll go ahead and wrap up today. And any other, any other th- closing thoughts or anything that you want to add that maybe we didn't cover?
0: No, I think that's a good first episode, just kind of going over, you know, I guess more, more about how I got into the space, but sort of where the, the machines fit. And uh, I, I, I think we'll see them change and evolve and, and do other things. But for the most part right now, it's just <laughs> get people into the new ecosystem, right? Get them out of the old financial system, let them turn their cash into crypto and, and then um, make some decisions on their own. One of the best byproducts of Bitcoin in general is education. People that buy Bitcoin ask questions. Why does this? Why do things work this way? Because once you take your step back, it's hard to unsee.
1: Yeah, it is. It is, and, and they, people talk about the Bitcoin rabbit hole. I, I, that uh, certainly happened to me. I mean, I fell into it. Um, you know, I came from. I would never have said this three years ago. Even even though I, I first saw Bitcoin in 2012, and a sort of a unique story. Um, but I. I I, I think of my my old businesses as fiat businesses really, um, they're they're influenced by the by the money printing and uh, it's really changed the way they operate. Um, I'm in a healthcare in a healthcare space for thirty years where, you know, part of the part of the money printing has caused a lot of inflation in the healthcare space, and yet at the same time the 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 engines the drivers of the insurance products that would protect people from that increasing cost have been depressed. Uh, pretty substantially because the money printing has caused you know intermediate and long-term bond rates to go down so it's you're fighting this rising cost with this kind of you know increasingly impaired engine and so it's really made that space difficult
0: uh, well and you don't have a real competitive market there either right there's not competition you have regulations in place that protect the embedded players so you don't have real competition and and so because of that you only have a few people who really get to make up the rules as they want and and so any system that has that is going to be hugely inefficient and that's that's the prime example of something that bitcoin can really disrupt and, and make more efficient inflation is just one aspect that's problematic with the underlying mm-hmm. like our money but there's there's bigger problems and that that is regulation and that is protecting embedded players and and restricting you know innovation um that we're stuck into the system and the way that it works and we just keep assuming that it's going to work that way and that's a bad assumption. There are, there's always a better way, right? Uh, you have all these creative minds looking at something and being able to, and now they have tools and now they have ways of implementing things that we never had before. Um, as people start to look at this and they take a step back and create these new ways of doing things, nobody's going to want to do yeah. that old way anymore. Just you know, people who don't want to change maybe, but uh, people that see new opportunity, people that are really creative are going to come up with interesting New exotic derivatives of derivative. You know, we thought we were creative in the hedge fund space. Boy, we didn't know anything. You see these? Yeah, guys. I told totally, them. I, mean, I look at. it, I think it's it's almost because like, I also
1: when I was in school, I was a history major, and and we went we went back to the ancient days. You know, we the with the Bronze Age and the Iron Age, and it was just like no matter how much the Bronze Age people maybe wanted, you know, to 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 keep their jobs or you know keep things in the status quo maintained it was technology's linear when you come up with something that works better or you know that much better 10 times better or or just you know power orders of magnitude better very hard to to undo or very hard to stop
0: no that's for sure and, and the finance industry really has not been disrupted right it, it, it's it's sort of the same you know we talk about the federal reserve and all these other things and maybe that could be a whole topic of conversation later but but the reality is the system hasn't changed all that much. Like it's we just keep building on it, but we don't change it. We just keep building on top of it, trying to patch it, trying to fix it, build on top of it, create more regulation, create more rules. You know all of these things. And and at the end of the day, you know taking a step back and just knocking the whole thing down and going, okay, how about we just like how do we incentivize people wanting to invest in a company and being able to profit from that and have some control in the governance of that in in any way that they want, right? In whatever way they decide, not some Arbitrary person deciding, hey, these are the rules you need to follow, and if you follow these rules, you get to participate here. Well, what if I don't like that rule? What if I what if I want to do accounting a little differently, or what if I want to agree on something differently? I should be able to do. Yeah, it's,
1: it's, it's that's. I think that's why the freedom people who are interested in freedom as a fundamental concept are, are are drawn to this space. I mean, it's like like a lot of the libertarian types. So, you know, I mean, that's yeah. how.
0: It's interesting though, because even though I said all that, right? An ERC twenty <laughs> token is a standardized way of communicating. So you do need standardization, but voluntary standardization, right? Things of things that make sense versus these these just arbitrary rules.
1: Oh yeah, with mo- most of them meant to to protect the gatekeepers, right? I mean, they're they're really a lot of the, a lot of the, those rules are associated with just maintaining a status quo of, uh, of of this. Well, that's
0: certainly the effect, and and and
1: so it does stifle innovation and.
0: You know, I saw it early on. That was one of the reasons I stayed here in the United States. Is I saw everybody flight. Everyone, you know, left the United States and went and created these early Bitcoin adopters. Most of them left the country. If they were here in the United mm-hmm. States, they left uh, or they were elsewhere. Not not here because they were afraid, like, what's going to happen here? And, and too many regulations and let me go innovate here. And then maybe if it all works out here, I can come. I can bring it back when things catch up here. And, you know, we're seeing that now. Well, there's so many regulations here. It is. Very difficult to operate. Yeah, in the and, and I mean, topic
1: for another show, which I, I find absolutely fascinating, is the resurgence of individual states. You know, they're like F- Florida, Wyoming, uh, Texas, where, where we're getting back to some of the old models of the, the original country where we were, were supposed to be these labs in the individual states. And so you start to see some of these, you know, these states adopt crypto friendly rules and, um, make make where they are as a you know fertile ground for for future opportunities i think that's going to show in in economic output and population uh this is this is this is this is a bold step for some
0: well we're going to see let the best system prevail
1: <laughs> absolutely absolutely so all right well hey so i also want to say thanks to everybody for listening and and, and and to close shows if you have questions or uh you'd like to have a topic bring a topic to to the show that, you know, something you'd, you'd like to hear us talk about uh, the way to reach the programmers of the show is just to go to info at And that's C H A I N B Y T E S chainbytes.com. And uh, i will be happy to hear from you any questions uh, or, or to suggested topics. So it's cause we're going to, we're going to start doing a bunch of these and, and uh, I hope it'll be a lot of fun. I think. So again, thank you for everybody, everybody for listening and until next time, take care. Thanks a lot, everybody. Talk to you soon.